0: We find ourselves in the third sermon in the series, Exodus, the mission of God, man's exit and God's entrance. And this morning, the title of the message is Behold the Lamb, Behold Behold the Bread. Last week was Behold the Lamb and this week is Behold the Bread. I want you to consider this question and see if we can find an answer to this in the text today. Moses seems pretty intent on sharing with us a very raw picture of what, the, what it was like in the wilderness along with his comrades, along with the people whom God has called him to lead. I want you to ask yourself this question. I want you to see if, if Moses is asking this question. I want, you to, I want you to also find, does Moses give us the answer to this question? And are you willing to hear the answer of this question out of the mouth of God and the word of God? And this question is this. Does God take care of his people with extraordinary deliverance, patience, and provision? How do you answer that this morning? What do you know about your God? Does God take care of his people with extraordinary deliverance, patience, and provision? Well, let's look into the very word of God and ask this text, this question, since it seems to be the question that Moses wants us to know about. And he wants this next generation as they're heading into the promised land, he wants them to know the faithful record of the faithful God. He wants them to know the answer to this question, because there's going to be significant challenges for them, along with significant blessings and provision from God. But he needs for them to know that this question is a common question in the in the Christians' experience. So turn with me into the book of Exodus in chapter sixteen and follow along as we read in this chapter the story that Moses tells us here in the wilderness. Now, leading into chapter sixteen, the Israelites have been freed from Egypt. They have crossed the Red Sea. They have sung a great song about the might of God and the testimony of their great leader of Moses. They ended up very thirsty and near some water and it was very bitter to drink. And, and God, through a miraculous way, made the water to be a sweet taste. And the end of chapter 15, as Moses records the story, um, is, it says this, they came to a place, where there were 12 springs of water, so as it was one for each tribe perhaps, and 70 palm trees. Lots of shade. Water and shade in the middle of the wilderness. What a beautiful place to be. From there, that wasn't to be the place where they would stay. They were going to the promised land. So verse number one. Chapter 16, they set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, by the way, that does not have its normal meaning. It happens to be called the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, In the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather it, each of you, as much as you can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as they could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning and bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered at each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread Moses said, Eat it today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long? Will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. Does God take care of his people with extraordinary deliverance, provision, and patience? Well, we would say as we have come to know God through Jesus Christ, yes, absolutely. You see, Jesus is the true Israel, and we're left to ask the question, how did Jesus go through the wilderness? You remember in Luke chapter 2, Jesus enters into the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus enters into the wilderness, and he is to be tested. And Jesus shows absolute dependence upon God for the 40 days of his fast. An implicit obedience to the the law, the commandments of God, the word of God. Jesus, when tempted to to have bread or to make bread, was 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 committed that he would only take bread from God and give him the glory. Jesus is the true Israel. But the problem is that while God was faithful to deliver them and to provide great patience and provision, God's people like you and I are prone to forget where we have been delivered from. We forget where we are going. And often we are not content to dwell in the presence of the Lord in the midst of our journey. We are not much unlike the people that we just read about. Well, let's go to the Lord this morning as we break open the bread of life here this morning and ask that he would lead us into this truth. Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning as we, as we pull up to the table that you would fill us. But Father, first of all, we ask that you would give us an appetite. I pray that every person hearing this message this morning, that you would, that you would just open their mouths, open, open their hearts to receive this, this appetite and this fullness that is found in you and in Jesus Christ. Father, train us to have a diet that's not of this world. Doesn't feast on this world. Forgive us for starving ourselves from heavenly manna. And Father, as we break open the Word this morning, we pray that you would show us the fullness of Jesus Christ. We pray this in in His marvelous name. Amen. We're going to be asking three questions this morning in our. In our sermon today and the first one is how did Israel respond to hardship? How did Israel respond to hardship? The fact is that they they forgot that it was the Lord that was leading them. You say what do you mean? They forgot that it was the Lord that was leading them. Notice that their conversation here in Esther chapter 16 is directed towards Moses. You brought us out of Egypt. You did It's all on you, Moses. It's all on your shoulders. This is all your idea. Now listen, these people had endured ten plagues and had received miraculous safety in the midst of ten plagues. They had also, by the way, very dry sandals on because they had just walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. They also had canteens overflowing with water that was once bitter but now but now full and fresh and sweet and now had enjoyed the, the, the shade under 70 palm trees and water flowing and overflowing out of 12 springs. But they had forgot that it was the Lord that was leading them. It was not Moses. They had conveniently assigned to Moses the things that belong to God. Do you do that often? You assign to man things that belong to God? Maybe you assign unto a boss. Maybe you assign unto a spouse. Maybe you assign unto someone else the things that belong unto God. You say, you brought me here. I wouldn't be in this situation if it weren't for you. They conveniently assign to Moses the things that belong to God. And the fact is that often... We assign to people sovereign power which is never theirs. Notice verse number seven. He has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? Moses feels it. Notice in verse number eight, the end of verse number eight, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. And Moses is trying to redirect these, the the people to recognize it is the Lord that's leading you. You're in the middle of this 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 situation because this is exactly where God has planted you, just like right before you were at the Red, at the Red Sea on the banks of the Red Sea, and Egypt's army was 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 making ground against you. It was tracking you. It was about ready to overcome you, and God opened the Red Sea. God put you there in front of an insurmountable object. It was not Moses. It was not just circumstantial. What's what's really pointed about this, and Moses is careful to let us know this. Remember, Moses is crafting this story so that you and I can understand the dynamics of what's taking place. We are only four weeks out from the death of the firstborn and the miracle of the Passover. Four weeks What was it like on April 1st in your life? That's how it was just like yesterday. Four weeks ago, the people heard the wailings in every Egyptian home. The haunting hells of the broken hearts from the slave in the dungeon to Pharaoh's son in the palace. They heard just this almost a siren throughout Egypt. But yet, inside of their homes, they heard the feasting and enjoyed the feasting of the Lamb. And joy around the table. And the testimony of God's faithfulness. Four weeks! It was only four weeks since their miraculous deliverance. We learn that spiritual victories of yesterday do not guarantee today's peace. Those things that God has done in your life yesterday as we rest in them, they are testimonies of God, but today you must cling unto the Lord. He must do a work of grace today, and even your obedience to Him yesterday doesn't guarantee your obedience and faithfulness today. You see, yesterday's worship doesn't mean today's faithfulness. They had just, in in the, in the previous chapter, in 15, it's the Song of Moses. I mean, the descriptors in this are, are just extravagant. The, the words that they try to come up with to describe the might and power of God, they, they use superlatives to exclaim and extol the greatness of God who would thunder down water on the, the greatest empire and the greatest War machines, the chariots of Egypt, they're in the middle of the Red Sea. They are confident that God is on their side and they sing. I mean, they just sing their lungs out on the other side. But now only moments later, after worshiping God, is their Monday. It's their Monday. They had met together with God's people on Sunday and, and, and dared to sing these great superlative praise songs. But Monday came. And hardship came. And their eyes were on their hardship instead of on the Holy One. Ten thousand mercies that God had poured upon them were forgotten with the arrival of a single hardship. Hardship. Isn't that much like you and I? Something horrible happens, something in the moment, all of a sudden, interrupts our plan for peace. Stands in our way, a circumstance unavoidable, out of our control. And all of a sudden, 10,000 mercies are forgotten. All of a sudden, we wonder where God is. The next question we need to ask in this passage is asked for us is how did the Lord respond to them? How did he respond to them? I love the song we just sang just moments ago. Shall the sovereign ear hear the mourners cry? And yes, he will. And what is what is really humbling is that God hears and sees and witnesses our unbelief. God hears our complaining. Even if we don't verbalize it. Well, how did the Lord respond? Notice. Notice verse number four. Now, before we say this. If you have parented for any length of time. You no longer go to nice restaurants with your kids. Because when your kids walk in this nice restaurant and you've budgeted for it and you're excited and you've checked out the menu ahead of time and you're you're looking forward to some well prepared food for once. And you go in and you open the menu and even on the kids menu and you're about ready to do something special, maybe even something sacrificial in your budget for that period of time And your children open the menu and there is nothing they like on the menu. And you wonder, why do I even come here? And you stop going. When Israel comes to this place, God says, Behold, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven. Instead of being the father, the jerk father like I am sometimes, where you pull away from the table and say, we are never coming here again, family. You are ungrateful. We are not. And you know, kids want to go somewhere. No way. You don't even like what's there. You know, all that. Praise God, He is nothing like our earthly fathers. Because in the midst of this grumbling, in the midst of this accusation, even in misplaced theology, Moses, how dare you take us out of Egypt to starve us to death? It's all your fault, Moses. You're the one that brought it. It was your idea to get us out. We would rather go back and sit next to the flesh pots of which there was a fishtail in They were not overflowing with food. We barely had enough to eat. But we would rather go back there than follow you, Moses. But verse number 4, it ought to just like jump off the page to you. And that's why I think the word behold is there. God is saying, I'm not going to respond the way you think I'm going to respond here. I'm not going to respond in the way in which they deserve to be responded to. I'm going to act out of the faithfulness of my covenant character with them. Behold, I want everybody to stop in this moment and recognize there is going to be bread falling from heaven like raindrops. Behold. Behold, I'm about to rain down bread from heaven that I may prove them whether they will walk. We We see here a contrast of God's love with His people's unbelief. Do you know that God still loves you even though you are unbelieving in Him? Even though you don't even ascribe to Him His love, even though you even tell Him and wonder, God, do you love me? Do you know that God still loves you even when you accuse Him? he still loves you and and he says behold notice that the lord does not speak directly to the people here in verse 4 but to moses why well i believe that moses needs a good bit of assurance here moses has just borne the weight That was meant to be on the shoulders of God. It's the accusation of a million plus people on the shoulders of Moses. Now, he does not share that he's been shaken by it, but nonetheless, these accusations must weigh heavy on this, this man's heart. So God meets with Moses. Moses needs the assurance that God is willing to carry the heavy burden. Moses needs the assurance that God is going to carry the heavy burden. And, you know, there is often times when you are positioned as a leader, maybe a leader of the home or a lead provider, or in some way people look to you and say, We have great needs. What are you going to do about this? Now, here's an illustration where God cares for the one who he has put in this point position of leading. And God is saying, hey, let that weight of provision just be on my shoulders. Because Moses isn't a baker. He can't provide for the people. Not even as in John chapter 6, it appears that the people question Jesus. Like Moses provided bread in the wilderness. And Jesus said, it wasn't Moses. Even Moses will tell you this. Here God pulls his servant aside. And listen, God loves to do this in your life. God loves to have secret counsel with you. And he loves to assure you that the weight of provision in the time of great need need not be heavy on your shoulders. And I love how God does this. God is ministering on many levels here. He's about ready to just pour out like rain, grace on Israel. But in the meantime, he's also willing to have this private counsel with his servant and show that he cares for the people and he cares for Moses. He cares for Moses. And notice then that the glory of the Lord is to be faithful to his people even when they are faithless. What is it that God wants to prove to His people? By the means of bread, by something so simple, yes, they need it, yes, it needs to sustain their life, they're they're starving, they're hungry, but think on this. By the practical base, common means of bread, God says, Behold my Glory. Not, behold, there's mighty angels. Let me open your eyes and behold these cherubim, and seraphim surrounding you. Behold, there's Michael and Gabriel. And, and look, there's great armies all around you. If you could only see what I'm doing for you. God says, no. Here, here's what you need. Let Behold my glory in the bread. In the bread. Not great big things. Yes, you saw my glory in the parting of the Red Sea. Let me not hold my glory in knowing exactly what you really need and proving myself faithful to you. Verse number six at evening. You shall know that it was the Lord. Not Moses. You shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Listen, when you finish the day and when you start the day throughout the day, you will know that I am the Lord. Don't get away from it. If you forgot in the middle of the day, I'm going to remind you in the evening. If you wake up in your sleep and your your affections are not awakened unto who I am, that's okay. I'm going to remind you, here's bread in the evening. Here's quail. I'm not going to let you forget about Me. I'm going to put things in front of you and it's going to be just even common things. What was it that God was preaching through the bread? He was saying, this is more than just provision. By the testimony of My giving you of bread, I'm showing you the glory of My faithfulness To you who follow Me, when you follow Me, when you seek after Me, I will show you that I am faithful. Didn't they already perceive that He was someone who could do miraculous things to lead them out of Egypt? Then how did they say, and why did God say, you shall know that it was the Lord? Because listen, we can have hearts of discontentment So, that even though God has wrought for us, you and I, the greatest exodus through Jesus Christ, we can faithlessly wonder if He can do some of the most simple things in our lives. We can wonder if He even cares. We can wonder if He is even still with us. We can wonder if His intentions towards us are malicious. Verse number 9. Moses and Aaron call unto the people and say, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. How full of shame it is that the sound of our grumbling and the sound of our doubts even ascends into the ears of the Holy One. But they do. Our grumbling, our murmuring, our complaining, It isn't worthy of heaven's ears. But you know, God is not oblivious to our torturous feelings. God is not surprised by our crisis of faith. And God is not fickle in His opinion about us. And so verse number 12 At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Can I get like super practical here? We need to sit at our tables and say, this proves He's my God. The glory of God is in this bread. How many reminders did, do we need for the truth of the, that the Lord is God? Well, there would be Reminders to a day and it would be every day. But why are we so forgetful when there's so many signs of His care? May I suggest that we place too much faith in our feelings? May I suggest that we put too much weight in what we can see? Ultimately, we we know that we're forgetful that God is God because we live in the flesh instead of in the spirit. And when we do so, we are prone to doubt the most significant and basic truths of God. So then thirdly, how did they respond to this blessing? Moses is showing us this sort of waves lapping up on the, on the, on the shoreline. First, What was the people's complaint? Secondly, what was God's response? And then thirdly, how would the people respond to his response? How would they respond to blessing? Let me ask you something. How do you respond to blessing? Let's remember here that the blessing of the bread and meat was firstly, the blessing itself was firstly that God was revealing himself to us. You see, the sign of of the things, we were talking about that practical application, the stuff on the table, let it preach to you. Let your vegetables, let your rice, let your meats, let your drinks, let let your platters, let your forks and knives, let them preach to you that God is more than these. That He's revealing something. Not just feeding you and taking care of a basic necessity, but He's revealing something of greater worth than your hunger and appetite. He's revealing something to you. He's revealing. Then they shall know. Twice a day, then they shall know. What's God concerned with? He's he's more concerned... That they know He is God, that they enter into faith with Him, that they're really trusting in Him, then whether or not they have a well-balanced diet. Then they shall know. Not, then they shall be full. This food was meant to reveal something to them. That God's blessing is His revelation through His provision. What's God telling you through blessings? The fact is, that's true of every blessing in the believer's life. Every single gift from God is meant to direct the heart towards the loving Father. The sad reality is that for Israel, their bodies had been delivered from Egypt, but their hearts had not. Their hearts needed to be weaned from Egypt under the things of God. The manna would be for the day, and they would learn that to be satisfied with God's food in the desert. But instead of being satisfied with God's food in the desert, there was two things that they did with this food that was just unthinkable. The first thing they did, and I know none of us would ever think about being materialistic or full of anxiety. So we can't relate to this, but Moses tells us that they hoarded the blessings of God. They hoarded it. The, the, the bread hoarded became bread for worms. And they gathered it. They gathered up this bread and tried to save it till the next day. And they opened up their pot and there was worms just overnight. Very unlikely, but this was God's doing. But you know, so often as God blesses us and even as we even partake of God, even in our knowledge of Christ, as we learn of God, as we take God in and consume God, not just physically, of course, with the bread, but 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 in our hearts, as we as we grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, the gathering of bread for tomorrow is is like this useless knowledge bread is meant to be applied do you understand? The bread that they gathered, they were to consume. Not just collect it. We have this tendency often to consider ourselves to be holy and godly because we have great at expanding knowledge and increasing knowledge of God. We listen and we read and we take in so much spiritual encouragement, but we store it up like we're hoarding it. But the fact is, bread is not meant to be theory. Theory it's meant to be consumed and shared why were they hoarding this it's really at the at the center of their sin they doubted whether god would be good tomorrow that's why they hoarded it today god said tomorrow there's going to be bread But they wondered, ah, just in case God isn't good. Just in case God doesn't keep His word, I'm going to set some aside. I don't want to be hungry. And they hoarded it. They did not fundamentally trust in God's character and His position before them. Listen, I want to remind you what they can see. The people of Israel can see the pillar of cloud by day. They can see the pillar of fire by night. They can see the manifestation of the presence of God. No matter what time of day it is, they can see it. From all the edges of the encampment, they can see God is with them and yet in the presence of God, they wondered, will He feed us tomorrow? Oh, how anxious our hearts are when we have the abiding presence of God and we dare to doubt, God, you're good today, but I'm just in case you're not good tomorrow, I'm going to have to rely upon my own means. And do you realize that the anxiety that we have for tomorrow actually is not experienced tomorrow, it's experienced today too. And we don't enjoy the bread today. Because we're still counting to see if there's enough left for tomorrow. So it affects today and tomorrow. But there was also another problem that they had with the spread. It's found in verse number twenty-seven. On the Sabbath day, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather. But they found none. And the Lord says to Moses, How long? Will you, and he's really saying the people of Israel, refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, behold, take a reckoning of. The Lord has given you a Sabbath. You don't even need to gather on the Sabbath. Enjoy your day off. You don't have to go out and work. Do everything on Friday. Leave Saturday alone. You, this is a, a great gift. You you can keep as much. And I'm going to do something special here. The other days of the week, the bread will have worms in it if you keep it overnight. But on this day, when you keep it over, no worms. You, and no work. No worms and no work. Hey, that's a great platform. Let's run for... President or something on that, right? But that's a, great, that's a great benefit to this. So some of the people went out together, but notice the verse number 30, God was training them to rest. So finally, after they finally got the message, Oh, you were, you were really telling us that you're not going to give us bread on Saturday, so we might as well obey you. So he had to train them to rest. Listen. As we read the Bible up to Exodus chapter 16, this is only the second time that we, that we come across the observation of a rest day. This was God's second revelation of rest in the Bible. We haven't heard anything about Sabbath yet. And soon we will in the book of Exodus. But it isn't given yet. Okay, that The Ten Commandments keep the Sabbath. That hasn't been given to them yet. That's not yet. Not in Exodus 16. And so here God is walking this out. And this is the second time we see Sabbath in the Bible. And the problem with the Sabbath with us is that we don't keep it and we won't work. It's the worst thing. How do we say that? You see... God would need to teach His people how to work. That's fundamentally true. God needs to teach us how to work, how to produce righteousness in Jesus Christ. God needs to teach us how to work. And God also needs to teach us how to rest. As unthinkably profound as it is, you would think that weary souls, weary bodies like you and I, that they would, we would not be need. We would not need training in rest. God needs to teach us how to do both things because we're just broken in both ways. He needs to teach us how to work and He needs to teach us how to rest because we rest when we should be working and then what? We work when we should be resting. And... I do mean physical labor, but I also mean as a means of our life in Jesus Christ. Our life lived out before God. We we rest when we should be working. That is, we we do not apply ourselves unto serving God, of giving ourselves, of being crucified unto God and saying, God, use me in this moment. Use my life. Take it and use me. We rest when we should be working. But then other times we we say, but God, look what I've done. Look at all the things that I've done for You and Your name and, and I did all this stuff. And God says, listen, if it wasn't for My glory, if it was still about You, You need to rest. Because it's all done. Jesus Christ did it all. So God has to train our hearts, not just our bodies, how to work and how to rest. We were that way before we came to Christ. And we still bear this pattern of working when we should be resting in our souls and resting when we should be working in our souls, we still bear this pattern. The fact is that this Sabbath was a gift. Even God would rest in this passage in providing for them. Notice that God doesn't provide for them on Saturday. It's not like he says, hey, there's going to be stuff on Saturday, but don't go out and get it. No, in verse 27, we saw they went out and they found none. Even God rested on the Sabbath. If God would rest, why can't you? If God would rest, why can't they? Because they refused to believe that God's work of provision was enough for them. Would you turn with me over to your Bibles in John chapter 6, in the passage that we were at this morning in our corporate reading, John chapter 6 and verse 25. Now, Jesus has just done something amazing. If you look at the beginning of John 6, Jesus has just taken a little boy's lunch of five loaves and two fish and He has fed more than 5,000 people with something barely the size of a Happy Meal. And John chapter 6 continues the very next day with this. How do we know that You are God? Will you give us a sign? The very same people. Verse 25, When they found Him on the other side of the sea, they said to Him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking Me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom has sent me. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. You're going out on Saturday and looking for bread. And there is none. Verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me. That I shall lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on that last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jew, listen, John says this, verse forty-one, and write Exodus sixteen in there if you write your Bible, if you're writing your Bibles. So the Jews what grumbled? <laughs> Exodus sixteen all over the place right here. What are they grumbling? Yeah. That's, I don't want that bread. I, I, that, that, you're saying you're the bread? I, why did you bring us out of Egypt if that's the kind of bread we have to eat? They grumbled because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Why did they grumble? Why do you grumble? Why did they grumble? It's found in the word because. They grumbled because they didn't want to believe. And why do you and I grumble? Because we don't want to believe. Because they didn't want to believe. What did they want to do instead of believing? They wanted to go out on the seventh day and get bread that wasn't there. They wanted to work. They didn't want the bread... They didn't want the provision of God. They didn't want to obey God. They wanted to know that it was of their own doing. Why did they grumble? Because they didn't want want a gift. They wanted to work for it. This is a picture of salvation. They wanted salvation, but they wanted it on their own terms. This is all what's in the word because. The Jews grumbled because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So if you're the bread that came down from heaven and I'm the people of God, then I must partake of you. And no thanks, I don't believe in you. They grumbled because they wanted to keep working. They wanted to keep gathering where there was none. Notice at the end of chapter 16 that the jar of manna was to be taken and was blessed by God as to not spoil. This would be a perpetual reminder of the provision and even of the Sabbath provision for his people. If these people were going to enter the promised land, an Edenic place, they would need, like Adam, they would need to know two things. They would need to know how to work and what they would need to know how to rest. And so the jar of manna that would not grow worms, that eventually would be, by the way, in the Ark of the Covenant, this would be a testimony of the provision and the rest as they went into Eden. So Christ is the one that came down from heaven to us And these people in Israel were to look to heaven for their daily supply. Listen, there was no farmland. I just paint the picture of where Israel is in the wilderness of sin. There's no farmland. There's no ability to bring anything up from the ground themselves. There's not one blade of grass. There's really not one drop of water unless God provides it. And those who looked upon Israel, those outside forces, surely looked upon them and doubted their supply listen, Christian, you're living in a wilderness of this world. And there are people watching your life. They're watching what you are bringing in to bring your happiness. They're watching what makes you content. They're watching what brings you your greatest joys. And could it be that the world really, in, when they would look upon a faithful Christian They would scratch their heads and wonder how are they so faithful to God because their life is a wilderness. There's not a blade of grass around them. There's nothing good coming up from the ground for them in the means of water. The world knows nothing of the appetite of the believer. They know nothing of the portions that we take in of Jesus Christ. They don't understand because they don't have an appetite. They don't have an appetite because they haven't been what? They haven't been delivered. Okay? So the believer's life and what sustains it are just a mystery to those who are enslaved in Egypt. As you live your life in peace of God, obedience to God, trusting in God, you are an enigma to the world. You ought to be, by the way, calling unto them to question themselves, why is it that this believer seems so content? Why is it that this Christian friend of mine seems just so stable in the midst of storms this ought to cause them to question and we have great means to tell them listen you're in Egypt you're not even in the wilderness let me tell you how to get out of Egypt and so the follower of Christ feeds by faith upon that which has been delivered from our faithful provider and father in heaven listen there was nothing to consume in in the wilderness Except for God and His benefits. And this is how it ought to be for the Christian. We are warned. Be careful what and how we consume the wilderness around us, how we consume the world around us. There's nothing like the grace of God for the believer through Jesus Christ, it will never leave you famished. By seeking after the mirage of this world, we despise the manna from heaven. And the more we feed on Christ, the greater our appetite will be. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, speaking on how Christ fills and is our supply, says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same what? He's the same everything that you read in the Old Testament. He's the same cup. He's the same bread. He's the same deliverer. If an Israelite neglected to gather the bread in the morning, they would starve. And he would be lacking strength for that day's journey. He became very, very malnourished as a follower. And the fact is that sometimes this is how we are as Christians. Sometimes we go to the wrong trough to feed our souls. There's many troughs, two of them are feelings and experience, our experience of, "We did this yesterday, we can do it today." Feelings. But none of them feed. None of them feed. Life is born of Christ, and life is sustained in Christ. What they needed, what they needed to, to, to know is this: They needed to leave Egypt in order to eat the bread from heaven. You say, "I don't know that I have a strong appetite for the things of God. You need to leave Egypt to eat the bread of heaven. And the fact is that it's, it's enough for every day. And notice at the end of the chapter, the last verse reads this way. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came into the promised land. Listen, God often provides daily bread as the most significant sign of His loving care and provision. Don't overlook the things right in front of you as they are some of God's most significant signs of love for you. Christ is enough for today, and He is enough for tomorrow. But you must abide with Him. Christ is in theory, He is not a mirage. He's to be brought into our lives and into our homes by faith continually. We need to consume Christ. John 6 48, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. You eat anything else, you consume with your mind and heart anything else, it leads to death. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died, but this bread, and He's pointing to Himself, comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Christian, are you, are you feasting upon God, dwelling with Him, and not overlooking all the signs of His love, that He is dwelling with you in fullness and grace and provision? Let's pray.